The story of Malchus in the garden is one that in many ways perfectly sort of summarizes, encapsulates Jesus' life and mission. It's one that shows Jesus' life and mission in a, in a real powerful way. In a moment where swords have been drawn and one would expect Jesus to, to perhaps fight back or to, to charge his men to, to advance, we see him kneel. We see him heal in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a, a battle and blood pouring and men shouting and swords out and clubs present. We see Jesus kneeling. We see Jesus healing. And we see Jesus looking in Malchus's face. And loving. This beautiful act of healing a soldier's ear is, is just this perfect picture of the life, the ministry, and the mission of Jesus. This, this is what Jesus does. This is who Jesus is. He's, he's a healer. He's a restorer. He brings peace in the midst of chaos and fighting, and blood, and anger. He also brings freedom. He frees Peter from, from the conviction that would have happened at the hands of the Roman officials. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus does. To understand this, this healing mission of Jesus, this restoring mission of Jesus, this peace-making mission of Jesus, this freeing mission of Jesus. We must understand what he truly is healing us from, what he's truly restoring us to, what he's truly doing in our lives. What is he freeing us from? See, the ultimate healing and freeing work of Jesus is his, his freeing us from sin through the death, through his death on the cross. That's what we remember tonight. That's what we reflect on tonight. The darkness of the room and the candles, the lights. It's intentional to bring us to a place of contemplating and reflecting on and thinking about our sin. It's not something that we typically like to think about, is it? It's not something we, we like to dwell on, is it? You see, sin's that, that part of our lives that we don't like to talk about. Sins are those ugly thoughts or those horrible actions that go against what God says is best for us, what God commands of us in his word. Sins we commit are not just harmful acts against ourselves or against others. Sins are, are actually transgressions against God himself. 
Our sin puts us at odds with Him. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin causes guilt and shame, and ultimately God's Word says that all sin leads to death. So tonight, on Good Friday, we remember our sin. We remember the sin that we actively commit every day of our lives. We also recognize, remember, and reflect on the sin that we carry because of the righteous things we either refuse to do or fail to do. So we need to spend some time this evening thinking about sin. Thinking about sin. But church, we also need to spend some time thinking about and remembering and reflecting on the miraculous way that Jesus frees us from our sin. And tonight, uh, the way I'd like to do that is to go back to the book of Isaiah. We're going to go back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. This section of Scripture was written nearly 500 years before Jesus even walked on the earth. It's prophecy. It's, it's poetic prophecy. And when we use that word, what we're saying is that this is, this is truth. This is truth written by the prophet Isaiah. This is truth proclaimed by Isaiah, telling us, informing us about who Jesus was, who, who the Messiah was, and what the Messiah would be like, and what the Messiah would come to do. Isaiah 53 is truth-telling about future events that would happen 500 years after its writing and proclamation. It's truth-telling about the events and the characteristics of our Savior, the one who would, who would free humanity from our sin. What's interesting to me is that Jesus himself actually brings up these, these, this idea of prophecy, these prophetic words about himself, he actually brings them up in the garden when he's with Malchus. When he's kneeling and speaking and talking, he, he brings up these prophecies. Let me point that out to us tonight. Matthew 26, 52 through 56, he says, Put your sword back in its place. He's speaking to, to Peter, Jesus said to him. Peter, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot call on my Father and he at once put my, will put to my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then, how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way. In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets must, might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. 
So Jesus himself raises these prophecies about him. So let's, let's look at them this, this evening. Let's look at chapter 53 of Isaiah. I'm going to read it in its entirety tonight. It's, it's a long section of scripture, uh, typically more verses than we would, we would regularly read, but I'm going to read it in its entirety this morning. If, if you uh, learn best or hear best by following along, you can do that. If you learn best or hear best by simply closing your eyes and just reflecting on what's being shared, I encourage you to do that as well. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered with transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This passage of scripture is known as the prophecy of the suffering servant. And as I read it this, this evening and as you heard it, I think you can understand why. This 12 prophetic and poetic verses about Jesus, the Messiah. And tonight I want to pull just a couple of those verses out and reflect on them this evening. I want us to learn together as we, as we ponder our sin and as we reflect on Jesus, the suffering servant who took our sin away. The first verse I'd like us to look at is verse 6. Verse 6 says this, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, 
And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. The verse begins with the, the phrase, we all, and it ends with the word all, starting with all and ending with all. We all have sinned. All of us have sinned. And Jesus has taken on himself the sin of us all. All means you, and all means me. It also includes everyone we know, as well as the person sitting to your right and the person sitting to your left in this room right now. We all have sinned. We all need forgiveness for our sin. And this verse tells us that Jesus paid the price for our sins, for your sin, for my sin, for the sin of the person to your right and the sin of the person to your left. See, what the Bible teaches is that we, we cannot go on carrying our sin. We cannot live under the burden of sin, and our sin cannot go unpunished. It cannot go unforgiven. It cannot go simply swept under the rug as though it was some sort of big mistake. See, church, for us to be reunited with God, reconnected with God, restored with God, brought to peace with our Creator, our sin must be dealt with. Our sin must be forgiven or we will face its ultimate consequences. Shame and guilt and death and destruction and torment and suffering eternally if we remain separated from him. I like the picture of God being on the top of a mountain. God being on the top of the mountain. And because of our sin, we were once with God at the top of the mountain, but because of our sin, we have since made our way to the bottom of the mountain. We can no longer dwell with him at the top because we have we've been, been tainted by sin and we've fallen to the bottom of this mountain. And we can, we can work and toil to get at the top and there's other religions that will tell you do such and such and do this and do that and you can reach the top of the mountain be forgiven and be reunited with God but the Bible teaches something very contrary that there's no amount of work that we can do there's no toil that we can undergo there's nothing that we can pay there's no work that we can do no act no words that we can say that will bring us back to the top see what happened is God in his mercy and God in his grace, instead of calling us to the top of the mountain and, and telling us to do something or work for it, he actually sent his son down from the mountain to meet us at the bottom in our sin and to provide a way back to be reunited, reunited with him. The forgiveness that we need comes from the the mercy and the grace of God. He makes a way for our sin to be removed, our sin to be forgiven. The punishment we deserve was taken on by Jesus. Church, the ransom we must pay was paid by Jesus. We learn more about this in verse 5 of Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. 
Church, by his wounds, we are healed. In his suffering and in his death, he paid that price. He bore the punishment that we deserve because of our unfaithfulness, because of our sins, the sins we commit, and the things that we fail to do that are in God's commands. His suffering and death brought us peace. His suffering and death brought us healing. And church, we must sit with that this evening. We must sit with that this evening, and, and we must be aware of our sin and the price that was paid for it. Church, we must be brought to our knees tonight with gratitude that our sins have been dealt with, that our sins have been forgiven through the death of Jesus. By his wounds, we are healed. Church, this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, this is why we don't simply call this day Friday, but we call this day Good Friday. Because as we reflect on our sin and we we regret our sin and we remember our sin, we also remember Jesus. And we reflect on Jesus. This is good news for all those that believe in him. Those that trust Jesus. Those that know him as their Lord and Savior. I invite you tonight, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to simply put your faith and trust in him. Cry out to him. He will make a way for you and your sin to be forgiven. Church, let me close by reading just a few verses from the book of Acts. This comes from Acts 4, verses 8 through 12. It's pretty powerful because here we have in Acts 4, verses 8 through 12, we have this man, Peter. Do you remember him? The guy that brought out his sword and was so bad at swordsmanship that he missed and he cut off a guy's ear instead. And he made a scene, and he was embarrassed, and Jesus had to intervene and tell him to put his sword away, and then, he, and then he ran from the scene. And we know some things that happened just a couple days later, don't we? This man denying who Jesus was. What's, what's really powerful is that we, we come to, to Acts, and, and Peter now, he, he's back in trouble and not because of being a poor swordsman, and, and not because he's abandoned Jesus, but because he's full of faith, because he's full of power of the Holy Spirit. He's healing people that have broken bodies, and he's proclaiming the good news about Jesus. And you know who's really upset about it? Caiaphas. Caiaphas is back on the scene. Caiaphas is after Peter. And Acts 4 verse 12 says this about Peter, that he's full of the Holy Spirit and he stands up and he says this, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame, that is they just had healed someone, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. 
And Peter says this, the man in the garden who ran after he had cut off a man's ear, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Isn't that a powerful picture of the man Peter proclaiming our salvation, that it's found in no one else, in Jesus alone. He is our hope, and he is our salvation. One of the ways that we acknowledge our need for a Savior and and remember our sin and what has been done on our behalf through Jesus' death on the cross is by taking communion together. Communion was given to believers by Jesus so that that we have this tangible, this meaningful, this real way to physically remember the blood shed and the body broken for us. So church, we're going to take communion together this evening. On your way in, you should have received a cup with the communion elements. If you're a parent with a child in here, we encourage children to, to be a part of communion. We, we leave it up to the parents to, to decide when their child is ready. And Jesus himself said, let the children come to me. And so we see this as an opportunity for parents to disciple their children and talk with them about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for even them, little children. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he had broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the symbol of Jesus' suffering on our behalf. Jesus, Jesus absorbing, taking on the punishment that we deserve for our sinful hearts so that we might be brought back. That we might be brought back into relationship with our Creator, you, Lord. Amen. Let's take the bread and eat. Now, would you stand with me? Paul continues in his writing. He says, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Bow your heads with me one last time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of your Son's life on our behalf, that we might be forgiven of our sins and adopted into your family for Jesus' glory. Amen.